0: This is a relay project. Seriously? 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 Seriously, Seriously starts now. Here's Supria and Ryan.
1: Hey, hey, it's Wednesday, August 24th, and you're listening to Seriously with Supriya and Ryan. I am Supriya DeVetti in Toronto.
2: I'm Ryan Jesperson in Edmonton. Good morning, my friend.
1: Yeah, good morning. We've been uh, away for a -hmm. week, and it feels like it's been a minute, and um, the news didn't stop while we were away. (laughs) Uh, A lot happened uh, that we will get into. I mean... Lisa Laflamme was ousted at CTV News, and there's been a huge sort of response to it, as well as the continuing or continued bungling of it from the CTV or Bell Media side of things. Um, Healthcare, not solved while we were off, right? Um, Yeah, weird. Uh, Still in crisis. Uh, Ontario now eyeing private clinics to help alleviate some of the uh, burden from hospitals. Nova Scotia sort of eyeing uh, the same sort of solutions or considering the same. Um, Danielle Smith still going really hard in terms of like Alberta sovereignty. She penned a, an op-ed in the National Post this week about it. Um, a lot of droughts, a lot of heat waves still happening. Uh, China, Europe, USA, you know, whole rivers and lakes just drying up. Um, yeah, and- some wild
2: visuals on that, Hey, eh? You see like these these—you uh, know big bridges that typically span these wide rivers and instead it's just these desert landscapes and it feels a little opportunistic oh boy do i want to say it to turn it into conversation about climate change as evidence because sometimes there are contributing factors and people will say well 100 years ago this stuff happened too 200 years ago this stuff happened too but there's just so much of it there's so much of it happening that it feels like we're burying our heads in the sand just a little bit on that front doesn't it
1: yeah. And so like I get, you know, the don't make weather about climate argument because mm-hmm. that's, you know, very true. You can't pinpoint one event and be like, that's climate change. But I think we can point to like years and years of increasing temperatures and, you know, um, fewer and fewer Uh, rainy seasons in certain parts of the world and then kind of tie the tie those to climate change always interesting
2: when national or international conversations are happening on two fronts one of them is the impact of climate change and the other is pipeline expansion uh, in the context of energy accessibility or energy security and i guess that's kind of where we're going to go today
1: Yeah, totally. Um, And then just like briefly before, you know, we get into the meat of the show, this has to be addressed because there are two pretty big teachable moments in federal politics from a comms perspective I, I found this past week. And a bit with like the federal liberals finding themselves in a comms pickle as well as Pierre Polyev and his camp finding themselves in a bit of a comms pickle to give people some context. um, The liberals awarded this contract to an organization, but one of the senior consultants at that organization is like a virulent anti-Semite and had lots of very anti-Semitic tweets. Uh, He also had a bunch of very, you know, anti-Francophone tweets um, out there. So the libs kind of dilly dallied. They finally canceled the contract. Um, and for Polyev's uh, camp, you know, he shook hands at a rally with this guy who's been designated by the Integrated Terrorism Assessment Center, which is a federal organization that assesses, you know, terrorism threats to Canada as one of the key anti-government IMVE, so ideologically motivated violent extremism adherence that was at the convoy and this guy's Jeremy McKenzie and like again for Pierre's camp like you're not going to know everybody you're shaking hands with at a rally right? I think that in and of itself most reasonable people of all not all reasonable people would agree it was really the response where they're just like about it and still not really you know denouncing him or his like organization
2: yeah I, I think that you know Critics lose credibility when they become unreasonable, and I think it's unreasonable, like you just said, to expect, let alone demand, uh, that an individual, a high-profile politician or a celebrity or what have you, is going to know or recognize or understand the magnitude of, of shaking hands with every single person that crossed totally. their path in a meet and greet. It's just not possible. This circumstance was a little bit different when when the photo was posted by Mr. McKenzie, this Diagon founder or co-founder, what have you, uh, I think he the caption he included said something like, sometimes you got to tell him what's up, uh, You know, sort of uh, you know acting as though he was informing Pierre Polyev yeah. uh, where his campaign needs to go. When he posted the photo and then it caught fire and then people said to Polyev or to his camp, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to denounce him? Are you going to essentially take back the handshake? And then he refused to do it. That's a different ball game, right? Jagmeet Singh, federal NDP leader, said something along the lines of, it's true, you may not have known who he was at the time, but you do know who he is now. Yeah. So are you going to walk it back, or are you going to continue, I think, said Mr. Singh, to cozy up to white supremacy? And that, I think, is fair criticism. But really, Sabria, what's Pierre going to do? I mean, this is the guy that's been bringing coffee to the truckers in the convoy. This is the guy that marched with James Top. I mean, he he's made it very clear that he's totally fine sidling up to to, to you know people all, you know that are occupying this space on the spectrum in Canada. So I don't know how, with a straight face, he could say anything that might be critical of, of this diagonal
1: guy. Well, I don't think he can, and that's probably part of... That's a much longer conversation for us to have at some point. Um, but yeah, to your point, it's once you start bringing coffee for these guys, it's kind of like, ooh. Yeah, and that'll get
2: it. more and more relevant, and it'll get dragged out again, especially if it keeps happening when Canadians start seeing federal election campaigns roll out we've got some time between now and then but but obviously here on seriously those are the types of things we'll be keeping an eye on you know one of the top stories across the country of course continues to be our growing health care crisis like you just said Sapria, now this opens up an interesting question what do you do when the system is woefully understaffed and you desperately need to hire people
1: Yeah. And, you know, sometimes in a situation like that, it can lead you to rush to hiring where you don't train or you're verifying the credentials as well as you should. And it could actually end up leading to situations like the one we saw in British Columbia in 2021, where you had this nurse that was working with forged credentials. And when you're understaffed, you know, verifying those credentials and providing that best in class training is actually even more important because you need to make sure everybody who is there is on the up and up and is fully licensed and ready to go. And if you need help with training in a regulated industry, you need to know about WeKnow Training. WeKnow Training is not just a standard LMS pr- platform. They specialize in high-stake trainings for associations, regulators, governments, prudential bodies, all with the highest degree of quality and trust. And to give you some examples, you know, they work with partners like hunter educators and licensing organizations, medical associations, liquor and cannabis retail workers, training for, you know, provincial regulators and accredited training for licensed professions like real estate, insurance and financial planning industry. And many more highly regulated industries as well where that high quality training really really matters
2: yeah since 2005 we know training has helped hundreds of north american associations and organizations deliver the highest quality training and testing solutions their platform and learner verification technology make sure that you're credentialing the right people with a high degree of trust if you want a training partner who will provide high stakes training without the hassle give we know training a call you can learn more on their website right now at we know training
1: The lead. So Ryan, Germans came to Canada and they brought over some of that real (laughs) BGE. Big German energy. Uh, specifically, the interest in Canadian minerals for EVs and for you know the longer term game or play with green hydrogen. So the German Chancellor was here. You know they did uh, he did a bunch of pressers with the Prime Minister. And it's interesting cause they've been actually talking up this green hydrogen partnership for a bit. Like there were a few weeks ago, the uh, foreign affairs minister for Germany was in Canada and she echoed that messaging with respect to hydrogen. Here she is from a few weeks ago on power and politics. It's not only about short term uh, liquefied gas, uh, the long-term perspective, perspective we're having between the European union, Germany and Canada is hydrogen, green hydrogen. And so, you know, green hydrogen, of course, is, uh, I, I don't want to say the end all be all, but it is this uh, thing that we're striving for in terms of getting to carbon neutral or getting to net zero. Um, in the meantime, however, you know, Europe, in particular, Germany is seeing quite the energy crunch as winter approaches. And, Trudeau for his part has basically let any you know LNG enthusiast or proponent know that an Eastern terminal for exports uh, to go to Europe isn't happening. And uh, the German chancellor for his part was quite blunt uh, in commenting how Germany wants in on Canada's sweet LNG action. And here is what he said uh, yesterday with Vashi Capellos on power and politics. Would you like to see, if I could ask you bluntly, Canada export more LNG to Europe? We would really like uh, Canada to export more LNG to Europe, yes. Pretty straightforward. Very, (laughs) very straightforward there. Um, And so, I don't know, now we're getting into this sort of domestic conversation about energy and what we do, what do we do with this, like, you know, all of these resources that we have. Um, And I just want to add one little key sort of background note here. And that is Quebec is headed into their election um, as of the weekend. Um, So they'll be in full swing of election mode and Quebec for its part has been very, very adamant and very clear that there is going to be no pipeline whatsoever going through Quebec irrespective of, you know, whatever the environmental calculus was going to be here from the federal perspective. I don't think Trudeau was exactly going to weigh in um, and, you know piss off Quebec in 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 any respect to this so it's like what do we do we know that there's a short-term energy crunch for Europe we know that we have this but we don't necessarily have the terminals all set up and there's a lot of conversation now happening about well why don't we just get why don't we just build them why don't we just get it done you know ignoring the Quebec factor but also ignoring the fact that we can't exactly build these things um At the snap of a finger. And so Aaron Weary of the CBC noted that the International Institute for Sustainable Development pegged the uh, earliest that we can get these uh, terminals up and running would be like 2025. Um, That's not that's not this winter. Um, 2025 is, you know, three years from now, and that's the earliest we can do it. So let me ask you, how is this conversation sort of playing out, um, you know, in Alberta or or out west? Because I can sort of imagine. But um, why don't you give it to me? Sir? Well, it
2: hasn't it hasn't ever really stopped um, and it would have nothing to do with uh, German Chancellor Schultz or anybody else talking uh, about big German energy or LNG or any other sort of energy security in the context of what's happening with Russia and Vladimir Putin. This is just an ongoing conversation, Supriya, that Western politicians bang these drums and you can understand why now because there's a specific opportunity like you just played here it's been laid out by by the Germans in this case saying we would like more of your energy we would buy more of your energy we would buy more canadian energy and for that matter more palatable more sustainable so-called green energy which should be an easier sell right so it'll give western politicians or those with an interest in canada's oil and gas industry or hydrogen or whatever you want to get into specifically more fodder for the ongoing and continuing conversation that is quebec or in some circumstances british columbia or to make it awkward but keep it accurate Some indigenous communities keep, quote, standing in the way of pipeline development. And this is relevant because if you want to talk about a timeline for pipeline expansion or LNG terminals or what have you, we know now, uh, thanks to TMX or Northern Gateway, that there are expectations uh, from the courts and others. Uh, including Indigenous communities, that consultation will happen, meaningful consultation, and that takes time. 2025 to me sounds like, no pun intended, a pipe dream, but maybe this will get more people thinking about the role that Quebec has played in past in conversations about pipelines or other infrastructure projects that are in the national interest people will reference energy east which to me feels like a bit of a red herring because there were industry confidence implications there but still i think it's a fair question to ask if provinces cannot have the autonomy that people like danielle smith are arguing for then why can quebec simply stop national conversations or what should be national conversations about our industry
1: this opens up a whole slew of, you know, interesting ways to go at this. But let me ask you something, because, you know, Ford seems to have a pretty good relationship with Legault. Um, Kenny certainly did. I think Mo has an okay relationship with uh, with Legault as well. I'm not sure where Daniel Smith or any of the other UCP candidates stand, but could this become like a UCP leadership race issue, like them pushing Quebec? I mean, It would also put Francois de Gaulle in a bit of, I guess, uh, of a spotlight and a bit of a bind, I suppose, even though I I would fully expect his answer to continue to be no. But at least then. You know, we're having a bit more of a honest or or blunt conversation about this instead of couching this in these weird like, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? When we know the answer is Quebec keeps saying no.
2: Yeah. What I think would make it really interesting is like what we saw from from you know the first ministers, you know, the premiers out of BC. You remember this? We talked about it several Mm -hmm. weeks ago coming together uh, essentially not every single one of them but for the most part collectively to call on the prime minister and i wouldn't be surprised to see a a western bloc of premiers in particular lobby uh, or call out the prime minister to do more on this front and to facilitate that conversation with quebec i think this is going to make it even more interesting like we said based on the fact that the germans are spelling it out
1: Yeah, they are really spelling it out. And it's interesting because like they're spelling it out, but they're also, you know, I don't know if they're necessarily uh, in tune with the timeline of that 2025 um, that was put out there. So, and, you know, green hydrogen as the longer term play, I think makes sense. But if we're talking about this in terms of, you know, long term, we also have to consider that we need like the tech to sort of scale up at a pace where, green hydrogen becomes a lot more efficient to actually make, right? Like currently it's super expensive. Like it's expensive AF to make. Um, And I don't know. I just feel like if we put all of our sort of eggs into the basket of, well, tech will save us with this as it scales up. I mean, maybe, but sometimes it doesn't. And tech, I don't know. It's like green hydrogen will, um, I think, has a lot. It does have a lot of promise, but I don't know how we make it cheaper, quickly enough. You know what I mean? And it's like, as you mentioned off the top, like we have these droughts, there are these wildfires that are all across Europe. I mean, the droughts and stuff that are happening right now in China, like China's largest freshwater lake is just gone. Um, And that has all sorts of implications for like hydroelectric power. And then, you know, implications for the supply chain coming down the pipe and like I don't know, like, are we going to have an actual grown up conversation about this or, or no? Because I, I think no.
2: Yeah. The production cost conversation reminds me of the exact same talking points 10 years ago, 15 years ago with Alberta's oil sands. Also, there's this. Now, obviously, you knew we were going to talk about veteran anchor Lisa Laflamme's dismissal from CTV. And, Sapria, like you alluded to earlier, it's not really a story that's going stale or dropping off the national radar because it continues to write itself. It's it's a bit like a slow motion car crash in a way. Here's what Lisa LaFlamme had to say, letting everybody know she was on her way out. This video at the time we're doing this has more than four and a half million views.
0: I felt you should hear this directly from me. On June 29th, I was informed that Bell Media made a quote business decision to end my contract, bringing to a sudden close my long career with CTV News. I was blindsided and am still shocked and saddened by Bell Media's decision. At 58, I, I still thought I'd have a lot more time to tell more of the stories that impact our daily lives. Instead, I leave CTV humbled by the people who put their faith in me to tell their story. I I guess this is my sign-off from CTV, so I want to express my deepest gratitude to all of you while it is crushing to be leaving CTV National News in a manner that is not my choice. Please know, reporting to you has truly been the greatest honor of my life, and I thank you for always being there.
2: Uh, She makes it pretty clear it was not her choice. Makes it pretty clear, devastated, crushed how she feels about it and and it's not blindsided. necessarily blindsided yeah. uh, not necessarily her departure that makes this news that is a story don't get me wrong but it's also how this is being handled by the higher ups unbelievable stuff
1: yeah and it's like if ever there was a case study of a pr and comms fuck up that continued to have legs and you know for the head people at an organization to continually fuck up over the past, what has it been now, like two weeks, Mm -hmm. um, where like this is it. Like this is the case study. Um, You know, they put out a a statement that was, um, you know, kind of like feeling sorry for themselves. And then they had a a call with employees, like two of the Bell Media executives had called employees that like, you know, didn't really address um, their concerns. They were speaking in corporate speak. One of the questions that was posed to them was like, oh well you know what about like mental health of like newsroom staff and they're like wow mental health is one of our key pillars like that's, okay I'm like that's fucking corporate speak that's not how normal humans should speak in this uh situation and then like everyone seems to be getting in on the action like dove put out a tweet um you know recently that was basically uh it couched in in this whole thing saying that you know uh age is beautiful and like To love the gray or keep the gray is the hashtag that that they're going. And I don't know. It's like once you have a brand like Dove, who's owned by Unilever, that's like dunking on you, Bell Media. It's like (laughs) then you should just like fucking hang it up because it's just embarrassing. Like yeah, Unilever
2: that like as uh, as Andrew Coyne pointed out on my show Real Talk earlier this week though they're the ones that manufacture all of the anti aging cream. I don't know if we want to give them all the credit in the world for encouraging everybody to embrace the aging process but still uh smart marketing in the sense of of you know hooking your wagon to something that's clearly got some legs
1: yeah totally and i mean you know so i guess like my question to you so we've both been in broadcast um Mm. you know the goodbye is a big thing when you get to give a goodbye uh when I left my talk radio gig, I was really annoyed at myself that I hadn't actually properly written it out. I was like, oh, I'm just going to like speak from the heart and speaking from the heart. Like I actually cried on air, which is like terrible for me because I'm dead inside and I never really cry. And so it was surprising. Um, but so like the fact that they took that away from Lisa and like she wasn't able to do that on her own terms, I think is really fucking shitty. And then I think it's just like the question is like, you know, Omar Sachidina, who's going to be her replacement um, like what is like, I, I don't know. He's put in such a shitty spot too. Right. Cause like he can't really properly celebrate this moment. And it's like, I don't know. Like where does bell go from here?
2: Yeah. Yeah. The goodbye is a big thing. It's uh it's kind of nice to be honest, uh, to, to watch these executives take a few on the chin because they're the ones that oftentimes are, you know, operating the guillotine and feeling pretty good about how that all goes. This is par for the course in media. And, and maybe and probably more par for the course for women in media, especially in the context of aging. Now, let's be clear. Bell hasn't come out, obviously, and said it's because Lisa Laflamme had had hit 58. Uh, Charles Adler earlier this week said, why can't a 58-year-old woman be treated like a 78-year-old man, which I thought was a fair <laughs> comment. Yeah. But this is what happens. I mean, how often or how frequently do you see the I'm – Leaving with great fanfare Here's my highlight reel And my swan song goodbye To the loyal audience that stood by us for many years It doesn't always happen I mean this whole thing about getting axed And run off and shuttled off You know what do they say in uh, in Yellowstone Is it like taking them to the train station That's kind of how it goes in media these days And and to be honest as, as uh, Certainly not on the same level as Lisa LaFlam But as someone who's experienced this And has seen many colleagues experience this It's kind of nice to see people in the corners Sweet, getting called out for once
1: yeah it is nice um and i think the only person who could have uh done that is somebody with the profile right and the gravitas yeah. uh that lisa sort of has i mean to your point of what, when we played that video it has over 4.5 million views already like that's more than CTV gets <laughs> um, like way more. Yeah, yeah, they'd kill for those numbers. So I mean, it just goes to show who's who's winning the the air war there. Um But
2: boy is this ever a gross underestimation of the connection that she had with her audience, right? 100% you know, yeah. I can't imagine how what that conversation looked like or how the strategy session went where, you know, it was decided that we're simply going to shuttle her out, say nothing and then introduce the new guy as though there's nothing wrong. I can't imagine somebody believing not just that it was a good idea, but second of all, that it was going to work because it clearly like- hasn't.
1: And like, do they not have comms people there? Or do you think the comms people were just not listened to? Do you think they're giving shitty advice? Like, what, what is it? Because th- this to me is probably the most puzzling thing of this all is the fact that they weren't prepared for the blowback at all. They made the blowback worse by digging you know, themselves further into the hole. Um, and now they're sort of stuck down uh, and they can't seem to find a way out of it. And at this point, I don't know if there's a way out of it, but like, it, it seems like they could have probably handled it better from the jump.
2: All I know is this. We'll all keep an eye out for Lisa LaFlamme's new podcast.
1: <laughs> Seriously? Ooh, this is, uh, this is a doozy, this one. So uh, Elise Stefanik, who is a top U.S. congressional Republican, uh, she represents a district in New York State. She's a pretty hardcore Donald Trump fan and ally, uh, has made a demand to the Canadian government. Uh, And the demand is that we get rid of the Arrive Can app. I am demanding that Canada immediately stops requiring the use of the Arrive Can app. Okay. Hang on on a
2: second, everybody. She's demanding. Yeah. We better get rid of it. She (laughs) demanded it.
1: And so this is annoying for a few reasons. Number one, like, shut the fuck up. Don't make (laughs) demands of us. Go back to your, you know, like, do your own thing. Handle your own politics like your country's on fire. Democracy is dying like fuck off. You
2: are part of the problem.
1: You are part of the problem. Yeah. Okay. Number two, you know, arrive can does have its issues, right? Um, and there is a substantive conversation to be had about like getting rid of it or whether it should be implemented uh, going forward. And I don't, I don't know. It's just like the, her weaseling her way into this conversation, making demands of us. It just like I, I'm, I'm like, let the grownups talk. The Canadian grownups will talk on this side of the border, and you go over there with your MAGA hat on, okay? I was
2: particularly enjoying how the 35 million polite Canadians yeah. or, or, or maybe the 500,000 of us that are on Twitter have been processing and responding to this in typical polite Canadian fashion. And I saw a lot of demands back her way, demands for better gun control, demands to women's access to health care and reproductive rights. There are a lot of things that it turns out Canadians would like to demand from our southern neighbors as well.
1: Yeah, totally. My favorite. Reply, though, this was my buddy Dave Kaufman uh, from Montreal. Ma'am,
2: this is a Tim Hortons.
1: Very well played. (laughs) Dave Kaufman with the tweet of the week from the (sighs) team here at Seriously. So that's it for us on this week of Seriously. Make sure to check out our website at seriouslypod.com.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's where you can uh, find the links to subscribe to our show on Spotify, on Apple podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course you can find us on YouTube as well. And don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram, on TikTok at seriously pod. And of course you can find us on Twitter at Supria and Ryan. We'll see you again next Wednesday.
0: Seriously is hosted by Supriya Dwivedi and Ryan Jesperson. Technical producer John Hicks. Executive Producer Josh Dunford. Account Coordinator Lawrence Norlego. General Manager Katie Cook Shivers. Human Resources Lena Shepard. Voiceover by me, Tanji. Seriously is a relay project. For more, check out SeriouslyPod.com.